All right, good morning, church. Great to be here with you. Did you know, if you ever meet the Queen of England, that you need to proceed with caution? Were you aware of this? Anyone? Thank you for the interaction. I wanted to show you a little video that kind of teaches you, kind of in a humorous way, some rules you need to abide by if you ever see or meet the Queen of England. Take a look. There's some rules of engagement, right? Because the queen is not just some regular grandma that's rich, right? When you realize who she is, and when you come to know her importance and power, there's an understanding that you proceed with caution. Now, our passage this morning tells us that our God is a consuming fire. It's meant to be a warning. It's meant for you to learn who God is, right? This is a little different than the our God is a shepherd metaphor. It's a little different than our God is our father metaphor, right? Because it's intentional. It's to remind you, you better understand whose presence you are coming into. That you ought to be thoughtful, intentional, reverent, fearful, because our God is a consuming fire. With that said, we're going to look at from our passage one promise and two commands that I believe will help us to learn more about our God so that we can become better worshipers of him, of the almighty consuming fire that we call our Lord and Savior. All right, so that's where we're going. You with me? You don't seem as excited as I am, okay? You guys with me? Yeah? All right, here we go. So the promise that we see, and we're going to learn some amazing things about our God this morning. The promise is this. It's found in verses 26 and 27, that God's promise is that he will shake our lives so that what is eternal will remain. Let's look at verse 26. It said this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, this promise is quoted from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, which says this, For thus, says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, why does God want to shake their world? Well, if you read Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it tells us why. It gives us the reason says this, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? For the people of God in Haggai's time, I want you to understand this. They were more consumed with fixing up their home than when the house of God was destroyed and not rebuilt. Like, Worship wasn't happening, but hey, look at my new roof. Hey, did you see the new couch I bought? And God is looking at that and saying, that's the wrong focus. I'm going to shake up their world. Why? Because I need to remove some of those other things that don't belong so that they could focus on the right thing. Okay? In verse 27, it gives us that. Read with me. This phrase, yet once more indicates 
the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, the material things around us, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. I'm going to give you the biblical principle. So I want you to take a look here. It says this. When our focus is on the wrong things, you know what this promise is? The promise is that God will refocus. He will shake up our lives so that we can refocus on the things that will remain, the eternal, spiritual things, because he loves us. Amen? He will remove things. And I praise God that he does this. See, during that time, the author of Hebrews is writing to a people of God. Their lives are being shaken. They're losing personal possession, rights, even their life, because there's persecution. And the author of Hebrews is telling them, God is doing something on purpose. Because he wants to remove the reliance upon the material things so you can focus on the eternal things that will last. This is consistent with scripture because God never wants his people to miss out on the true aim of life. I want to give you a few verses, all right? Just kind of jog your memory. I know it's a little small font, so I'm going to just read it for us. Here's a few. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Mark 8, 36. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity or meaninglessness. Luke 12, 15 says, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life, I want you to know this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. God loves you and I so much that he will shake up our lives on purpose so that we can focus and love the things that remain that are eternal and spiritual. You know, this past Friday and Saturday, uh, I had a free night certificate to Hilton. So my wife is going to give birth in about four or five weeks. So I said, hey, let's get away. All right, we're going to just get away. All right, so we did a staycation in L.A. We got a nice hotel, okay? And so we ate breakfast at the hotel. The kids were loving it, all right? Then after that, we went swimming, and, and you guys remember the weather yesterday in L.A.? It's beautiful, right? Not too hot, not too cold. So we're like swimming in this rooftop pool where you can see all of L.A. My wife is taking a nap because she's tired, because she's pregnant, right? So she's taking a nap. And we're, I'm swimming with the kids. And I kid you not, I'm not making up the story. My oldest, now mind you, she's seven, going to be eight. She turns to me and she says, Appa? This is the life. First of all, I was shocked that she knew what that meant, right? I was like, where'd you learn that? And think about this. I've been meditating on this sermon all week. So I was so tempted to have like a Bible study right there and be like, my daughter, actually, this is not the life. What the Bible tells us, actually, what the life is. But... I was thinking about this. 
That's exactly what we do as believers. We have a certain experience. We gain a certain possession. We gain a little position. And we think to ourselves, this is the life. And God is telling you all throughout the Bible that that is not. And because he loves us, sometimes he just shakes things up. Because his promise is always for our good. When God is doing something, and it seems like your life is being shaken, know that God is sovereign. Hold loosely to the things of this world. Focus on the eternal things. Because that's God's desire for you. That's when we can be thankful for even the difficult moments. That's the God that we serve and love. Point two. We're going to go to two commands now. The first, there is a kingdom that will last forever. If you read Psalm 145, verse 13, it says this about God's kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Amen? It's an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Look, if you study history, there have been great empires that rival what? Caesar, Napoleon, Attila the Hun, and they have all come, gone. There are the seven wonders in the world. I wanted to just kind of make a list for you. Do you guys know these seven wonders? I didn't. I had to do a little research. Here's the seven. How many of them remain? Anyone? One. The only one that remains is what? The pyramids. All six are gone. And did you know that the pyramids, each and every day that passes, it's deteriorating. I want to just remind you, nothing in this world will come to pass except what is of God. And Check this out. This is the key part. This is why we can be thankful. Because we, this is the key word, receive. Okay? Say that with me. Receive. Meaning, you didn't earn it. God gives to us as a gift this kingdom that we don't deserve. James 2.5. Take a look. It says this. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world, talking about us. We should have nothing. Who's owed nothing. To be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. Think about that. This passage is telling us is that we receive a kingdom. Not on our own accord because of our works, because we're awesome. No. It's because he gives it as a gift and we receive it. We are heirs. Why? Because God is good to us. And he gives to us an everlasting kingdom that will last for eternity. And we are heirs of that kingdom. So we ought to be thankful. Now let's think here. How many of you guys struggle with thankfulness? I do. 
Like look at your prayer life. Is it filled with like more complaints and requests? Or is it more gratitude and thankfulness? There's something for us to ponder upon. Because if you think about it, if you take anyone in the world, like 95% of the people in the world, and you drop them off at Irvine, and you say you could live here, they will think that they hit the jackpot. Is that true or not? Maybe you don't like Irvine. But it's strange. We live in a world of discontentment. We live amidst a people that can never have enough. And we struggle with thankfulness. And I'm convinced the most thankful people are people that are living for God's kingdom. That I've met in this world. See, I'm going to tell you right now. If you only focus on your life and the things that you want, you will struggle with gratitude. You know why? Because you never will have enough. But if you focus on God's everlasting kingdom and how you've received that as a gift, you will live in thankfulness. Because what could the world take away that will not last? I want to challenge you. Be thankful, not because of the worldly possessions around us, but because we have an eternal life with God that no one can separate us from. So we ought to be people that focus on that and live in thankfulness. That's the first command. The second command is this. <clears throat> we ought to offer acceptable worship because our God is a consuming fire. So, verses 28 and 29 says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When you think of that phrase, he's a consuming fire, what should come to mind is the Old Testament sacrificial system where people would come and bring an offering. And if it was acceptable, God would consume that offering. If it was not acceptable, what would happen? He would consume you. And I'm just, I want to remind you, the only reason why any of us can come into the presence of God today and not be killed in the spot is because of Jesus. That's the only reason. And I want to remind you of something also here. It says, God is, not was. This is not an Old Testament thing. He's still today a consuming fire. So we ought to be careful that we don't just flippantly walk into his presence. We are coming into the presence of the Almighty God who has power over every dominion in this world. And if we, for one reason, walk into this door and think to ourselves, eh, let's just get this thing over with. I got to go eat lunch. I got to answer some emails. I got important things to take care of. You are forgetting that our God is worthy of all of our worship. He is a consuming fire where people would fear 
and reverently consider him as the most important person in their life. So we have to bring acceptable worship. So what is acceptable worship? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us two words. <clears throat> my apologies, I'm losing my voice. Let's just follow along. The two words, the first one is reverence. That Greek word is eulabia. It means cautious, careful veneration. Cautious, careful veneration. Right? Realizing. I have to be considerate of whose presence I'm coming into. The second word is awe, deos, profound respect, awe, to be reverent of our God and to stand in awe of who he is. I don't know if you've gotten so used to being in the presence of God, hearing about the gospel message, sitting in a worship, that you are not in awe of God. You cannot forget this, my friends, that we are sitting in the midst of God of this universe. And you ought to stand in awe of who he is. And if you've grown numb to this, I want to remind you that God is giving you the privilege to come into his presence and to engage with him. And so you ought to take that seriously, cautiously, and to come to give our very best. I was thinking about this. You know how it's kind of like water. You know, water is beautiful. It's very calming. And you can play in it and enjoy it. But have you ever been in the midst of water and realized it could consume you at every, any moment? Have you ever had that moment? I have. Being on the beach and all of a sudden, you know, in Hawaii, you can walk, 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 and then it turns dark. And then all of a sudden realize that, like, oh, I need to have healthy, reverent fear of what I'm in the midst of. You see, when you come into the presence of God, I'm going to tell you right now, God accepts us as we are. We can come in grace and walk in, okay, because that's God's grace for us. But do not abuse that grace and think that just like, ah, whatever, I'm just going to come and, you know, and whatever and just go through the motions of today. You better know that God is worthy of so much more. He's worthy of so much better than that. I want to challenge you. Are you coming into his presence? Realizing just how worthy he is. How much preparation it should take. I heard a story, and I forgot where I heard it. <clears throat> but there was a guy who wanted to give his very best to the Lord every Sunday. So he would take his offering, the dollars, and he would iron it. Because he wanted to give his very best. There are people who sleep early on Saturday night. Why? Because we want to be legalistic and sleep at a certain? No. It's because the idea is because God is worthy of our very best, I want to change my life in a way where I come in reverence and awe. What about you? Are we walking in realizing that God is infinite, we are finite, and we get a chance and opportunity 
to worship him today. You know, C.S. Lewis says this, and I just kind of want to end with this. He says, if Christianity is false, it's of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You know what he's telling you there? He's saying, if what the Bible tells us is true, if God is a consuming fire, and you know that you have access to him by the gift that he's given you, if that's true, then it must be of infinite importance and consideration for us. It can't be just moderate. This can't just be an addition to home life, my gym membership, my schedule. No. It has to be if my God is a God that is worthy of all worship. And to be into his presence, he loves me so much that he would shake up my life to remove those things so I could focus on the spiritual things. He loves me so much that he, he, although he can consume me, he sent the son Jesus Christ so that I could come into his presence. If these things are true, we need to be infinitely considering, be proceeding with caution with all of us. That's my challenge to all of us. He's a consuming fire. Praise God that he lets us come into his presence. And as we come into his presence, let's not come flippantly. Let's come with our very best because God deserves it. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Such a good reminder because sometimes we're tempted to forget just what it took for Jesus, your son, to bring us into your presence. If any of us, if at any moment we take that for granted, Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts that you will remind us how much you love us how worthy you are of the best offering may our hearts and minds may our worship be acceptable to you our king of all kings I love you Lord. in your name we pray amen